Welcome back to another episode of Fade to Gray. We're going to do things a little differently today. We have a couple of brand new segments for you that we will start and end the podcast with. Andy, how about you tell them a little bit about what we're going to do? It's a new segment here on Fade to Gray that we're excited about. And and we're, we're just exploring, you know, current news, maybe politics, pop culture, and examining it in a fade to gray way. And we're just, we're... we're we're looking at it from a couple different sides and maybe giving our maybe giving our hot take, personal opinion. Hot take, let's face it, all right? We're surrounded by hashtag fake news, okay? And fake news. This is going to be the real news, okay? We're going to get it from all perspectives here. All right, Chambi, hit it. I hear you get your news from CNN All these other fuckers watching Fox News again Yo, Chris, don't they know that that shit is whack? Hell yeah, Andy, it ain't so white and black SG fan, bam, we found another way Use your news, motherfucker, on Fade to Gray Holy shit, it's the news for noobs News for noobs Yeah, and I wanted to I wanted to touch on this week uh, Miss Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez Ooh, yeah, she she exotic. just got elected. She just got elected, <laughs> and she's 29 and wants to take all of your money. Oh my God, she must be a democratic socialist. How did you know? How did you know? Usually they want to do that, and and hey, <laughs> if you want to do that, that is fine. That is fine. But tell me where it's gonna go. Tell me where it's gonna go, and tell me it's working for the people. Well, it's gonna go to the people. <laughs> oh, of course. Of course, because if it if we say it, for sure it's going to happen. It's just going to go to the people. It looks as though she has her degree in economics, but I don't think she paid attention in that class. <laughs> um, but yeah, she she just won uh, won New York's fourteenth congressional district, and she she is against the Amazon. I think the Amazon headquarters in Long Island City. It says. One of the two locations for Amazon HQ2, she expressed concern that Amazon would receive tax breaks while critical infrastructure, such as the New York City subway, mm. was deteriorating and the city's public school and healthcare systems were underfunded, which I would definitely agree with that. But I don't think I don't think throwing more money, uh, you know, as a democratic socialist would call for at these problems would would make them any better. Well, of course, a democratic socialist is going to be against 25,000 jobs coming to your area. Why wouldn't they be? I mean, come on. Right. Come on. Isn't the Amazon I mean, headquarters going to bring 25,000 jobs to that area? I mean, right. And then they'll quickly want? be converted to a robot named C3PO. <laughs> you know, if you're going to do something, how about how about making some sort of law now that says we have to maintain a certain percentage of the workforce to be actual humans and not robots in the future and guarantee jobs. That's got to be something that's coming. I mean, it has to be, right? That law or robots taking jobs? Both. I mean, of course, that right. I, yeah. think, I think both. I think both. I would hope both because that would mean that we're getting some sort of, of say in, in this fight of a labor fight because I think that would be more of a democratic socialist view would be to almost guarantee jobs in that way. Well, what is she calling for? Like, what, what are her platforms? What is she about? Let's see. Uh, Medicare for all, which uh, she calls it a human right. She is uh, wanting to end fossil fuels. And she also calls for a, a green new deal in which the federal government would invest in the construction of large scale green infrastructure projects. And uh, hmm. I'm, I, I can 
I can vibe with that, but are you, I'm you know, okay with that. Are, yeah, but then you, you get into lobbyists and all that sort of stuff. And she said she supports uh, Medicare for All. A job guarantee. That was a big one. A job guarantee. Which I don't know who we're guaranteeing jobs from. But maybe that is maybe encompassed in what I just talked about with, uh, you know, uh, basically kicking AI, AI out of the, uh, the future um, producing infrastructures. It's like a reserve, right? Like a, like a constant temp. You, you always have a workforce at your at the ready for whatever you need them for. I think that's kind of what she's talking about, but I don't really get it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then she also says she supports uh, tuition free public college. And uh, well, th- and then this next thing I actually agree with ending the privatization of prisons. I fully support her on that. Oh, yeah. 100 percent. That's something I can actually I, I can lock arms with her, you know, and, and actually support that. Boy, that's a really, really terrible business. And the government's all involved in that too, though. Even though it's uh, for private or for profit private prisons, I mean, who, who's the number one group of people that lock people up? The government. That's right. <laughs> it, it it seems to work very nicely. It seems to work very yeah. nicely. Uh, anyway, so yeah, this uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, Democratic Socialist. Don't agree with you on everything, but good luck to you. Um, yeah, she's young and she's a woman. I'm, I'm happy that she got elected in. I hope she does some good. We'll see. Um, yeah, some fresh I, energy, some some dragon yeah. energy, right? S- some fresh energy, probably a little naive. I mean, as a democratic socialist, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna give her the, the benefit of the doubt here. We'll see. We'll see how she does. Until next time, news for news. <laughs> Today's guest is Adrian Romero. If you want his backstory, you can go back and listen to the vaulted episode called Adrian Romero on the Fade to Gray podcast. Adrian's got a very interesting story that I think you guys will really enjoy. Adrian is the son of a very prominent Christian figure that he equates as the Michael W. Smith of Latin America. His former band Ave risked everything to make an album about the deconstruction of their faith and to challenge the fundamental norms of Christianity. Today, Adrian writes scores for film. His most recent, a short film called Making Love that you can download today. With a philosophical mindset, Adrian often challenges the ideas of capitalism. This conversation certainly challenged my views, and I think it will for you as well. Please welcome Adrian Romero. How are you? I'm doing good. Doing good, man. Just hanging out, making music, uh, enjoying what I can of life. The last time you and I spoke, you were working on a short film, uh, the... Uh, soundtrack to that the score so do you have any updates on that yeah actually the short film was already released to the people that supported it on kickstarter and uh i've been finishing just up some touches on on the on the mix Uh, i actually have a friend of mine that is mixing it and um i think tomorrow he's coming over and we're just looking over the last details but sounding good that's awesome it's called making love right yeah, that's the name of the short film. And uh, actually, if I think it should be up by next week. But if you go to makinglovest.com, I think you can you, you can get it there in, in about a week. That's awesome. And that's very exciting. cool. Are you planning on taking that to any like film festivals or anything like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's an Irish film. Uh, it was done by uh, a director called Helen Rollins. She's from, she's from Ireland. And I think that they're showing it in some festivals around Europe. Incredible. That's awesome. Are you going to be traveling there to, to do the premiere or anything like that? If something gets like set in stone and uh, it's like sh- for sure confirmed, yeah, I think uh, 
I would be interested in going with my wife and just spending some time there with some people that we know. That's pretty awesome. So you, you also make films on top of being, I believe you, uh, Chris mentioned you're a musician. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm mostly, I'm a musician. I just like uh, composing stuff. I always had like a passion for, for film music. And, uh, even when I do like just regular sort of more, uh, pop oriented sound or songs or that have like a voice in it and stuff uh i always try to add some kind of cinematic flavors to it so now what what type of music do you play in your band uh not when you're not scoring something we're very influenced by trip hop and uh i mean to be honest a, a lot of it comes from just listening to a lot of like um you know everything from john williams to any morricone to uh trent reznor and alex ross um yeah, just a lot of cool sort of uh, movie music. And that's like, I think that's a sort of main source of inspiration. The last time that you and I spoke, you mentioned that your band Ave was morphing into a new thing. Um, have you worked any more on that? Are you still doing the Ave project? Uh, do you have any news on that? Yeah, yeah we're already working on it. Uh, it's a project called Error. Uh, I, I I don't know if I told you about it the last time we spoke, but um, yeah, it's sort of like a tripartite sort of project that has uh, short films that are included into it and then uh, like uh, respective sort of uh, EPs of music and then like written, written sort of philosophical meditations. Um, so yeah, it's uh, that's in the works and I think it should be out maybe around like May of next year. It's like, it's a pretty big project, so it's taking a while. So you'll actually release like music. Is this just like um, atmospheric score music or are you actually going to be doing vocals over it? Yeah, the, the, the EP side of it definitely has vocals. Um, there's also like a scoring accompaniment to all the short films that we're going to be doing. But yeah, it's definitely there's some vocals included in the lyrics and all that stuff. Because To be honest, I, I need that stuff. I kind of get like, I... I can't listen too much to music that doesn't have like a vocal. I feel like I'm still kind of stuck in that sort of pop world or, or aesthetic, you know? Now, now you're in Mexico, right? Yeah. I'm in Monterey, Mexico right now. This is where I live. That's amazing because I was thinking how many people that live in Mexico and this is, I, I am genuinely asking because I want to know how many people get to make a career off of what you do. I mean, it seems like it's very, maybe on the rare side. Well, I'm not, I'm not like, I wouldn't say that I've, I've uh, made it. Um, I, I, I'm hoping that, you know, more doors get to open up um, with, with this project of making love. And actually there, there is a few projects that there's a possibility that they're going to get done. And if they do, uh, I would be involved. But I was actually just talking to a friend of mine from, from tech. So it's a famous university from here in Monterey. And uh, he's also given me a few projects that are more local and student based. And so I'm going to be scoring some, some local stuff as well. But yeah, there's, there's a, there's a movement that is kind of growing that is more film oriented. No one was really doing what Ave was doing in Mexico. You had some alternative bands, but no one was really doing the style that Ave was doing. Uh, would you say that, I mean, obviously I'm sure that your music has progressed and grown, but would you say that, um, that error is kind of in the same vein as Ave or is it a little different? Well, the thing about Ave was that it was a, it was a sort of critique of Christianity or evangelical Christianity. So, um, 
we kind of moved away from that. I'm, I'm not sure that I'm too interested in being a part of that thing anymore. I think that we, we said what we needed to say and have it sort of function as a vehicle for that. Um, but I think that we're more focused on things that are a little bit more political now. Um, if anything, we, we just kind of come to understand that, that Christianity is deeply political. So in a sense, we still hold on to that idea that Christianity has something to say, but it's uh, radically materialist and um, it has to do with what, what is in front of us now. And if, we, if we're capable of sort of like uh, articulating that in music, I think that that's, that's what error is about. Right on, Adrian. Um, so I know that Chris just said that he's going to stop referencing you guys' last conversation, but I'm just going to reference it again real quick because I just listened to uh, the Bandology episode earlier today, and we were talking about it. And um, it got me very interested in you guys' project, um, especially um, there's a couple of things that stood out at the end of it when you're talking about the community that you were looking to uh, – I don't know if you say start or find, you know, where it's like the post-Christian or the post-evangelical side of things. You were still, I think at the time of the interview, like uh, helping your father's church or something like that, leading worship at the time, but like looking for the community that might be more philosophical or like would read books or accept other literatures other than say like the Bible or scripture as like an inherent word type of thing. Um, I thought that was very interesting. I wanted you to like comment more on that. Like, like have you found that? Did you start something like that? Like, well, um, it's kind of complicated because the community that was started by my father um, is no longer functioning. Um, I think that it was something very central to him. But all the things that have happened um, existentially, emotionally, I think for my family and. Uh, that's something that's not happening anymore. The community is still going on, but he's not involved anymore. And I stopped being involved. I think I, I told you, um, Chris, uh, since maybe November or October from last year. So okay. yeah, it's not something that I'm involved in anymore, but it started, it, it's been starting slowly. Like I, I even just have like some meetings with my wife and just talk about, about a more political sort of reading from the Bible and definitely more historically uh, in the context of the history of the Bible. And, uh, but it's something that I've been talking about with my friends for, for a while. We've done a few experiments here and there. We, we did this community called La Ruptura and, or the rupture. And, uh, it's sort of based on the idea that life or, or humanity is sort of constituted in negativity. So you have like nature, for example, you have nature and uh, you know, the, the animal kingdom or whatever. And, uh, you know, everything is driven by instinct, but humanity is sort of like constituted in, in a break from nature. It's not a part of nature. It's actually a separation from nature. And that's where, <laughs> that's when like sort of human consciousness arises. So exploring negativity in in humanity i think is one of the central goals of uh, of communities like the rupture and um that's definitely something that we want to continue exploring but uh, right now i've just been too busy with with work to to actually start a community man that was a that was a lot to unpack there adrian like thanks for that like so uh, i was that thing you said just now about how maybe humanity is a break from nature that maybe that humanity is not 
not a part of nature. Like, um, I definitely would want you to expand, expand on that a little bit more. I would think that like as animalistic as humans tend to be, that we are definitely like a part of, you know, like the whole, like think of nature. So like, would it be like the human consciousness experience then is that, is the thing that would be the major break from nature or, or just expand on that a little bit more? Well, human consciousness is different from animal. Well, there is no animal consciousness that we know of. In fact, we have, I think a hard enough time just <laughs> trying to explain what human consciousness is. But sort of like Andy, the animal kingdom is sort of led forward through instinct. So, for example, if an animal needs to sleep, it just sleeps. Or if it needs to eat, it will just, uh, you know, kill a prey and eat. And um, those are like, you know, basic sort of needs. And we also have those. But there are sort of disruptions or ruptures that happen in our sort of instinctual life that are sort of negative and that's why i say that it's um it's it's a sort of break from nature and they have to do with self-sabotage um i believe in mm-hmm. in in uh in, like freudian theory and uh, psychoanalysis and it's i think what freud was trying to get at is that there is a sort of tendency to repeat loss um mm-hmm. so for example if if there is an object that that i think people want to get at uh, the tendency of humanity is sort of to fall just short of it. So you want to accomplish things in life. For example, you want to have, a, I don't know, a successful business. And I think that most of us know what has to happen in order to do that. Like we have to get up early. We have to work hard. Um, we just have to like devote ourselves to to those. But it's not, it's never that simple because there's always these contradictory desires that we have to deal with that, are also, you know, we have to deal with our own self-sabotage and self-destructive uh, tendencies. So that's, that's what mm-hmm. I mean from, it's, it's never like straightforward, like I want this and I just take it because it's a need of mine. We don't just desire things that we need. We desire things just because they're being offered to us or because out of envy or yeah, it could be many different things. Yeah. The whole spectrum of emotions. I mean, sometimes it could just be compassion that, you know, we may not want to do something like, you know, it may not always be negative. It could be positive as well. Maybe not always negative emotional responses, but on the negative, it's one of the things that like, uh, I think one of my last references I'll make to the original Volta episode of Bendology with you, Adrian would be the, uh, the idea of like life coming from death or, like you get your referencing. I don't remember if it was like a, a song title or a lyric you guys were talking about. I, I can't remember. Exactly. It was the song Huesos, um, where we talked about, um, or Adrian kind of expounded that the song is about the Valley of the Dry Bones. Um, and so that's, that's kind of what we're referencing there just to give you some perspective, Adrian. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought that that really um, was a kind of unique uh, perspective when you, cause I've heard, you know, that, sermon talk or that portion of scripture talked about like many times like i can't count on hands fingers or toes or whatever but like i liked kind of your perspective of like you almost need to go through the death to get to get to the life like the death has to happen or like you know like in order to get to to see the life sometimes like i think that was a pretty unique perspective and you're talking about self-sabotage you know like the order of like say 
your journey with your bands um, from Agave to the project Ave. you're working on now. Ave. 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 <laughs> I was joking about that earlier and I did it. It's a really sweet band. That's funny. Yes, yeah, a very sweet band, yes. That's a different thing from Mexico. Sometimes it can turn, you know, to tequila, but... Um, <laughs> um, but just, just how, like... Like almost like you self sabotage. You feel like you may have self sabotaged yourself in that band with the community you're in and stuff at the time. It just with some of like the titling, the images you guys were using. You know, like you said, the deconstructive part of that. Like I want, it's like almost like that was like the death, and, and now like the create the band that's created after that. The kind of like is like a new. It's almost like a new life birthing from that. And almost sure. see that happening in your. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think that's definitely true. I, by the way, I don't mean to. You know, there's this thing that I think Kierkegaard said that it's like, I'm not trying to tell you that he, he's like talking to his audience through, through his books. And he's saying, I'm not trying to tell you that that life is depressing or that, that you should be depressed. I'm telling you that you're already depressed. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I think that uh, I'm not trying to say that everything is like negative and bleak and just like messed up and that we are always self-sabotaging, but that things maybe initiate that way. Um, it, like things become fundamentally sort of inextricable from negativity, but it's not negativity in the sense of like sadness or depression or anything like that. It's just sort of like a break from from zero. Uh, so you have like this zero that is like uh, represents, for example, just like the animal kingdom, but there's something that is subtracted. And I think that people spend all of their lives sort of searching for something that they feel like they've been taken away from so so freud referred to this as like the the oceanic oneness like being in the womb together with your mother and and all that and uh i think that um that becomes represented in in real life where you hope that you're going to find the thing that is going to fulfill you all the time so it could be in the next car that you get or in the person that you're falling in love with, that you're hoping that this person is going to come and like fulfill your desires and, and it's finally going to make you happy. But there's always something sort of kind of fundamentally devastating. Like, I don't know if you guys have ordered something from like Amazon or whatever, and you're like super excited about it. And once it comes in the mail and you open the box, like you're excited for a few minutes, but then after that, you're just like, Oh my God, it's, it's so boring and it's kind of lame. Uh, there's nothing better than like that, the Amazon high though. <laughs> there's nothing better than an amazon high there's just nothing better. Yeah, yeah. tracking that package yeah, yeah. that comes to your house <laughs> right and what i mean by this, the sort of repetitious thing is that you will keep on ordering things from amazon even though you might become bored of them and like you have like a ton of them in your house already things that you've ordered you will keep on repeating that loss of like just missing the 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 sort of magical object and um so that's what I mean. And, and definitely like, that's depressing. It <laughs> it's well, you know, super the, the, instinctual though, because it goes back to the feeling of like, something's coming. I'm waiting for something like almost, you know, in, in the old days, you would have been waiting for like a battle to happen or whatever, you know, like the people are traveling 40 miles to come attack our, our village or whatever. Now we're just waiting for an Amazon package. <laughs> yeah, it really is almost like the secret of life is just being content with where, where you're at and what you got in the moment you're in. Like almost, it seems yeah. like what you're saying is like to, the only battle against that is just like living fully in the moment that you're in, like right now. Yeah, and there's and there's something sort of uh, 
complicated about that. There's this author that I really like called Mark Fisher, and he talks about how the problem with millennials or our, our generation, I forgot what generation Z or something is the next one. The problem is not that we can't get enjoyment out of life because there's definitely like a sort of epidemic of depression and anxiety uh, that is kind of common in, in, in people our age. But he says that the problem is not that we can't enjoy life. The problem is that we can't do anything but enjoy life. So there's like the typical sort of um, thing that a, a grandfather will grand, grandfather will say, and it's that uh, you know I, I had to walk in the snow five miles uh, when I was your age. I had to do this and this and that. It's like extremely difficult things, but it would take a while. Like he would have to walk those five miles in the snow. And I think for us, it's, it's I didn't know there was snow in Mexico. To be honest with you, <laughs> some parts, yeah, actually, <laughs> but. Nice. Um, but it, if for our grandfathers it took walking five, ten miles in the snow or whatever, symbolically, I think for us it just takes a click. And we experience the devastation of actually getting what we want uh, very, very quickly. So the, so the sort of political project that, that this community represents is disinvestment from the objects that sort of ask us to experience loss over and over again hmm. so it, that that sort of is represented in many many different ways for example you can vote for whatever candidate that you like but eventually i think that those things become sort of false promises so i think that sometimes the best thing to do is sort of to retreat back and be able to enjoy life as it is already not always be desiring something that you don't have so it's sort of a radical way to like immerse yourself deeper into the way that your life is now. But how, how do you make positive change then? I mean, yeah, that's a great way to live and like maybe like stay like, I mean, I, I subscribe to that like view of life, you know, just trying to say, stay thankful in all things and the things that you do have and, and trying to live in that moment. But then, like you said, but if you, if you do see, um, say take politically or something like that, like things that are happening and you, and you want to, maybe if affect like positive change like is there is there something in that philosophy that you're describing that would like is there like a call to action at some point though or is it like or um i, I see the importance of breaking free obviously from the need to have like constant enjoyment or that 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 being bombarded by um you know entertainment not being able to separate the need for like hard things important things in life you know like one of the things that i've heard that stick with me is you know nothing that you get in life that's easy do you ever like actually care for but everything that you've had to work hard for in life are the things that like you value things that you cherish and and so it'd be like i guess kind of like this that same mindset maybe like politically and so but like so where i guess how does that how does that play out then like in a day-to-day life like what's the does that make sense? Does my question makes sense. <laughs> you just get off Amazon. You just get like a <laughs> like a auto renew, like auto automated purchases. <laughs> you just get things that you don't even expect. <laughs> just let Alexa, <laughs> yeah. let Alexa do it for you. <laughs> no, actually, I think that you kind of very, very beautifully sort of responded to your own question, and it's that the things that are worth it in life, they're never easy. And they come with a degree of pain and they come with a degree of disappointment, but you don't leave them. You stick with them and you try to make them work. Like relationships are very much like this. Uh, relationships aren't easy, 
And to be honest, I think that most of the time, that's good. Well, all of the time, I think that you're going to come through the, to the conclusion that, you know what, this person that I think that is going to save my life actually is not. And actually sometimes it's, it's more difficult and you try and you fantasize about, for example, well, I wanted to fall in love with this person, but actually now I just kind of want to be on my own and I just want to, <laughs> I just want to spend time by myself. And, but the fact that it's this frenetic pursuit of the things that you think are going to fulfill you, that it's sort of harmful. So sticking things out and trying to make them work is, is, um, is I think a very positive thing and, and it's not easy. Um, but embracing that difficulty, embracing that vulnerability in which you don't have the thing that you think it's going to make you complete, but you're still enacting life and you're still affirming life. Uh, I think that's the key. So would you say lower your expectations um, on the people in your life, lower your expectations of the things that you think are going to make you happy? Is that kind of like the route that you would say would be beneficial to mankind or, or what are you saying? I would exactly? say raise the expect expectations on yourself rather than lower the expectation of, of others. But I'm going to let him answer that. I just wanted to interject that there. <laughs> well, I mean, the thing, the thing also is that, the frenetic pursuit of things that you think are going to fulfill you or satisfy you have a lot to do with you all the time. So what can I get? Even if it's like something that is uh, very pure, like a child, I don't know. I, I've heard this many times in my life where it's just like, hey, I want to have a kid because I think it's going to like fix my life. Right. Uh, and I think a lot of people actually make that mistake of becoming parents because they think, oh, my God, this child is going to come and change my life. And uh, this is like my my last chance, you know, to become a better human being. But actually, that's more like I think underneath the surface, it's like almost using another person's life in order to sort of try to better yours. But I think that maybe the right way to go about life is maybe to surrender your idea of what can make your life better and actually start to focus on how you can make other lives better, how you can affect the person, the people that you love in a, in a better way. And that's sort of disinvesting yourself from uh, your own self-interests. I've, I've heard stuff like that, obviously growing up in the church, um, you know, my whole life, I grew up um, Southern Baptist and then was Assemblies of God. So just, just so you know, most of the audience already knows that, but um like my pushback just to that thought, cause you'd hear a lot of that, you know, like selfishness, selflessness, you know, serving others, um, you know, putting others first. And, um, um, one, a lot of times I noticed that like, um, people were doing that a lot of times out of selfish ambitions anyway, too, like almost like a status symbol of like, you know, like being like the best servant, this, that, and the other. And then they're storing up blessings in heaven. <laughs> and then, and then to <laughs> the other side of that, that I found to be unhealthy um, when pursued maybe like in that way is that you're never actually doing this, the things you need to do to be healthy mentally, you know, physically, you know, like, you know, sometimes like to like really love yourself. Sometimes it's okay to, to be, to be selfish or to pursue like, you know, sometimes like, like you need to love yourself, you know, it's not healthy to do that fully to go. There has to be a balance, I guess, is what I'm saying. Like, like we're like, like I would agree with everything you're saying. I'm not trying to push back too hard, but just, um, I'm also, I've seen it be unhealthy. Like when people are like, trying to pursue this like uh complete selfless living thing um i don't know i've never seen it pan out 
Are you talking about me breaking my sober October? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the problem is, is that there are humans, right? Humans are involved in the process. So anytime a new idea is put forth, you're going to have the people who look at it and say, all right, how can I make the system work for me to have more control and power? And those are going to be the people that abuse it. Then you have the formulaic people that are just like, okay, so there's a new formula. So how do I do this formula? And then it'll just all be okay. And they overthink it and they stress out. And um, yeah, it's just, it's the human error aspect. And all models are uh, wrong, but some are helpful. You're so wise. Ethan, I love you. So like, I didn't mean to like make it too much of a pushback. Cause I really do love what you're saying and would agree with you. And, and I, no, no, that's, I mean, you can, you can push, push more, but can I, uh, can you expand on that a little bit of like why, um, sort of, uh, individualism, why there has to be sort of like a balance between, I guess what you're saying is individualism and more like relational sort of oriented life. Cause I think that that's just the honest, that's being honest with yourself. I think that's a more honest way to live. I, I feel like sometimes that like suffering, um, for others, I mean, that was, that was Christ's model, right? That's the thing that like we say Christ came and he died, he suffered, he was, he was the perfect lamb that was slain. And so um, I myself have, have tried, have been part of different organizations, and I, mean, I feel like that's a great model. Like, I really do. I feel like that ultimately that's what we have to maybe strive for. But I feel like in that, sometimes you can lose yourself in that like you lose your identity because you're always trying to like be something like for somebody else trying to to you do you're seeking approval you're trying to like, be that need and a lot of times it's like you can really burn yourself I've seen so many people my, like myself included in, in, in a lot of ways that like get quote unquote burnt out from living a lifestyle that way like trying to like good people trying to be authentic you know but there was they were their tank ran empty at some point, you know? And so it's almost like, that's where I feel like I almost caution with the balance of like, okay, well, what are you doing for yourself to like, like before you can like keep pouring into other people? I don't know. Like I do know that's kind of where I stand, but I guess that's what, does that make more sense? Adrian? Yeah. Yeah, it does. Um, well, a couple of things. I think that maybe, I think that maybe if you are going through life, trying to because i think that maybe what you're saying is sort of like the the people pleaser uh dynamic possibly yeah. or it's just like you're trying to be okay with people and uh that can definitely backfire um but i think what i'm trying to say is like you don't have to choose between individuality or or more like a relationship oriented or communitarian sort of thing um i think that what i'm trying to say is that the way to either of them is through community like so through community and when you surrender your own self-interest um that's when you're sort of that's when you are self-caring the most um what ends up healing sort of your soul uh is is caring for others but i mean at the same time i would like to say that both of them are devastating both of them end up feeling like they don't work. And I think that's what Ethan was, was saying. And it's that 
they're both flawed, but some of them are more helpful than others. Um, I think definitely that's, that's true. And, um, the consequences of, I think, individualism might be a little bit more severe, uh, because then you get into a sort of like doggy dog world. But I think that's what I'm, that's what I was trying to say in the beginning, that sort of life is constituted in, in a sort of negativity where it doesn't matter what you, what you take to the end. It doesn't matter what ideology it is. Uh, there is fundamental contradictions within all ideologies that end up sort of, uh, being kind of disappointing and maybe devastating, but that is like sort of the crux of life and understanding that is, I think, liberating rather than oppressive. Yeah, I would agree. That's well said. No, I, I, I do think you have to be an individualist though. I think to an extent, everybody needs to be an individualist. Like you need to know yourself be self-aware, be aware of who you are, what your habits are, what your temptations are. If you're constantly seeking community and and approval, uh, for lack of a better term, from whatever you're doing, whether it's your political activism, your religion, your veganism, your whatever, you're, you're not going to be true to yourself at one point or another if you're not somewhat of an individualist. I'm, I'm a very much an individualist. Uh, but I also know that community is, is good. I mean, essentially living a balanced life is, is what we're all getting at here. That's what we're all kind of just speaking to is a balanced life. And that's, that's where I was kind of just ringing at is, is that you can be a hardcore individualistic and also be very hardcore into community. I don't think they're they're mutually exclusive at all. I, I I think you can do both and do both quite well. Well, I think that what you mentioned was like you're not gonna be. You said something like, if you're always seeking community, you're not gonna be true to yourself. I would say that there is there is no place in which you are completely being true to yourself. I think that uh, th- there's always within any aspect of life, there's a sort of like inherent contradiction. And um, one of the main insights of, of psychoanalysis is that um, we are not identical to, our, to ourselves, uh, whether it's our name or our social title, like our job, or that you're a father or a husband, or that you're a boss or a worker, or I don't know, straight or gay or whatever. Like there's always like an incompleteness or there's a failure for your, your symbolic sort of status to represent you and whatever we may think of ourselves and whatever others might think of our, of us, um, those things are never quite like they don't coincide. Did you guys see Blade Runner 2049? No, no. Yes. Well, there's a scene. Um, and I still don't understand I, it. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to get too, like too much into it, but there's a, there's a scene in which the guy, Ryan Gosling, he has like a girlfriend, but the girlfriend is like a hologram. It's like a, it's like a robot sort of, uh, and she's not real. But it's the the girlfriend's personality is sort of tailored around the desires of of, of Ryan Gosling. And one at, at some moments in, in the movie, um, he brings home a, like a real girl, and they sort of like they sort of like uh, interlap like the the hologram sort of becomes together with the the real girl 
but there's like this beautiful sort of like out of phase. Uh, they don't they don't coincide with each other. They're not identical, uh, even though like the faces sort of like morph together. Um, they're not identical to each other, and I think that that's sort of like the fundamental human experience. And it's that we will often see ourselves do things that we are we don't think that we're capable of doing. So I would say you know my my, my response in a nutshell is like there, I would say that maybe there is no way to be true to ourselves. We can experience that we are being true to ourselves sometimes, but I think eventually uh, those things maybe come back and, and bite us in the ass, and so to speak. <laughs> and, uh, and, well, I think that, you know, community is sort of like a, a surrender of, of, um, of being true to yourself. And, and at least, at least with, uh, I think that when you're really into other people, it's like you, you, your expectations can only take you so far because you're always constantly being bombarded by the otherness of the other person. And, uh, what, yeah, I guess what I'm trying to say is that there's, there's otherness of the other, but there's also a self otherness in which you, you don't, you can never know yourself completely. And, um, yeah, I think that it's sort of fundamental to who we are. Yeah. We're, we're, we're growing creatures. You're never going to fully know you know, who you are as a whole creature at, you know, any second or point in the day. So yeah, I get that. I got you. And just on, I wish like Seth was here for like kind of like the mental health aspect of it. Cause I think about a friend, a friend of ours, uh, Chad, um, Johnson, who, um, who runs, I don't know, was like 10 something miles every day or something like that. Like at first thing in the morning to start his day. And it's, it's like something he has to do for himself for like, um, mental health almost, you know, like just, you know, like to stay sane, you know, like, and now we all kind of need outlets. I know for myself, I have a man cave. I'm in it right now, you know, and it's like, if I don't have like an hour to myself, at least a day to kind of like recharge, um, you know, I'm not pleasant to be around in community, you know, and so that's where I think just the balance of understanding yourself and not, not, you don't have to give if you don't feel like it, if it's not in you to do so, if you don't have to like put yourself out there necessarily, um, you're not a bad, doesn't make you like a bad person, even in the community. Maybe that's better than like, being out there and then snapping on somebody and saying something that maybe you would never have said had you been in a more healthy mental state or something along those lines. And so I think that's why I stress balance in something like that as being horribly yeah. important. Well, I mean, I, I'm also not saying that community means that you're never by yourself. Um, it just means that, it, yeah, it's sort of like, uh, it's, it's what drives you. It's like what gets you out of bed in the morning. But, you know, somewhere along the way, you're, you need to be by yourselves. Like, I don't think that, you know, a person that enjoys spending time by themselves is an individualist. That just means that he's a human being. He or she is a human being. Uh, I, I definitely, you know, I'm an introvert. I, I'd rather stay at home. I'd rather stay at home and just like make music and watch a movie with my wife or even by myself. Like, I've experienced it many times where it's just like, oh, man, I just I don't want to. I don't want to be with anybody right now. I just want to be by myself. Um, but there's also a, a strange sort of dialectical dynamic in which, and I, I don't, I don't know if any of you guys are are married, but it's uh, you find a way to enjoy being by yourself when you're with others as well, which is sort of like a strange sort of uh, contradiction. But sometimes 
I feel more alone in a, in a satisfactory way when I'm with my wife and just like, we, we're not talking, uh, maybe we're not even looking at each other. We're just like maybe in the same room and we're like reading. Um, but it feels like being alone. It feels like being alone. I think that there's like a way in which you can find uh, solitude with someone else. And there's also a way in which you can find like multitude, multitude in, within yourself, like by yourself, uh, all these sort of like um, voices that you hear and the, the, I sound like a crazy person, but not just like your, your inner thoughts. Um, <laughs> I, I definitely understand what you're saying though, Adrian, like, um, what is all this new age shit you're talking about, Adrian? <laughs> new age shit. Sorry. So both of those resonate with me. I'm from a, a very large family. Um, and then I live alone. <laughs> so, uh, so when I'm with my family, I can, I can feel that solitude. Um, we've kind of got that dynamic. And then when I'm here by myself throughout the week, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm not by myself a lot of the time because I'm with all the people in my head. <laughs> Crazy, yeah. <laughs> but Adrian, I've I'm coming up on ten years marriage here in uh, two months, and we have uh, four kids. So there's six of us in the house. So the man cave definitely does uh, keep everybody uh, safe and and <laughs> keeps everything calm. Yeah, um, like, yeah, of but like, and 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 also um, just so build backstory for yourself. I've probably spent oh god total of at least 10 years or more in community um living with other people my age younger than me and stuff like that whether from like as small of a number of like 10 to a big of number of like 30 you know plus and stuff so and i and i'm a big advocate honestly to a lot of the stuff that that you're saying um i would love to i've often said if i was a millionaire i'd buy some land and uh Colorado and just started big commune and like basically just like um, I love the idea of living in community and 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 self governing that way. It would it would turn into a sex cult. It would turn into a sex <laughs> cult. It, 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 might, it, it might, but I mean, I'm. It, it's not the main priority. Like I mean, but I mean that. Haven't you seen Wild Wild Country? God gave us no go and be fruitful and multiply. I mean, so. <laughs> <laughs> Fade to shades of isn't that what Christ? Jesus said right before like dying on the cross? I think yeah, that, that we could all be all be one. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I thought he said haters gonna hate. <laughs> Yolo. Interesting. There we go. That's it. You know, it is interesting that we all come, af- you know, from a faith background, um, and I like what you guys were talking about earlier about you know your, especially like. And I think this is kind of an abuse of the church where they really make you feel like you cannot be yourself. It's it's a constant call to die to yourself and to be Christ-like. And the one thing that they fail to remind you of is that, oh, yeah, Christ was God, apparently, you know, so so. You, you know, you you have to die to yourself, but there's no way that you could be and become a god, god <laughs> right? So, and a lot of people take this very literally, and they, and this is like I said, one of the abuses of the church. They don't care for the mental health of the people that are in the church, so they don't mind that they're constantly having that self struggle with. 
you know, how do I become less and you become more and, and how do I, you know, care for everyone and, you know, die to myself. And I think it's very important to take care of yourself. And I think it, I don't think Adrian's saying, Oh, you know, you need to completely forget yourself and, you know, only worry about community. That's not what he's saying. I think he's, I think he's saying that community is your drive for, um, you know, whatever it is in life that, that makes you, want to create or makes you want to do things or, or whatever community should be your drive. You should create for the community. You should create for the betterment of society. Um, and you know, take care of yourself along the way. Uh, but you know, that should be the way that you should do it. And I think that's so contrary to what the Bible does say. Cause, um, you know, as a person who doesn't necessarily believe in, um, in, the deity of Jesus Christ or the authenticity of the Bible, I took that at, at face value. I took all of that at face value for a long time and it really fucked me up. Um, and I, you know, I'm hoping that I can get over that with lots of good conversation with community, um, with lots of, uh, help for my friends. Right. And so I think that that's one thing that community can do for you. Paul and Barnabas um, were running communes. And, what are you talking about, man? They were like, give it, <laughs> give us, give us everything. We'll just distribute it to everybody. Nobody would be poor. Well, like just, just trust, just trust the church. That was, that was the original commune. Paul and Barnabas was running shit. Well, back in the day, sure. The church was supposed to take care of everybody. Right. But, um, but no, that's definitely not what we have today. Yeah. Well, uh, with what you're saying, I think it's, uh, it's something that really helped me with the whole Christianity thing is that, um, and, and, and what I was saying earlier is that I'm sort of like a, a hardcore materialist and I don't mean materialist, like, you know, you, you want a new TV, just like you're concerned with material reality. Um, one of the things that I think that the Christian sort of narrative story is one of the more profound things that I think has to give to the world is that God ends up being a split subject just like us. So what happens on the cross is that God is sort of, uh, I think the, the term in Greek is called kenosis, but he, he empties out into the earth, into the grit and dirt of the earth. And he no longer is this, uh, this whole God. In fact, that whole God, according to, to my theology or not just my theology, but radical theology in general, which is, a, a, you guys can you know Google it, but it's, it's basically that God never existed. It was always just a man. It was always just a, a man that was willing to give everything for, for in love. So, um, but it, but it is a it, that God is a human being just like us. So this whole thing that you're aspiring to, not just not just you or me, but like I think maybe the whole Christian community and a lot of other religious traditions, is that we're trying to identify with this impossible subject, which is uh, God as an entity. But that God perhaps maybe never really existed, never was meant to exist. Maybe it's a construction that we that we've sort of built ourselves. Um, uh, you know, from from Eden onward, symbolically, uh, which is uh, you have you have in the eating this moment where God says, "Don't have of the fruit, don't have of the uh, of the of the tree of life, the fruit of the tree of life," because you will know the difference between good and evil. So you see in their in their movement in their move to sort of like want that they're sort of rejecting the the present that they find themselves in. 
um, which is, you know, they're in nature, they're, they're one with each other, and they want more. So you, you, they get introduced to this sort of like ambition that there's something else. And from there, I think that God becomes something different. God becomes sort of corrupted. And God represents this sort of wholeness, like God, be, God becomes what is on the other side of the gate, or is what is being kept back by the gates that are, clo- that are closing off Eden. But uh, I think that that was the sort of fundamental mistake. And it's just like, I reject my present and I hope that this other thing is going to fulfill me. And I think that the Jewish community had this idea that like God was going to be like a sort of like a kingly, uh, elegant, amazing, rich figure, just much like Caesar. Um, But I think that the political implications of what the Jewish community was doing was saying, uh, Jesus is Caesar. Jesus is the king. And, but unlike Caesar, you know, he was born in a stable. He wasn't born in a mansion. And uh, he was like, they, what they said about Jesus was very common sort of like a mythical narrative. Like they would say about Caesar that, that he was born of a virgin. So the Jewish community is sort of taking that narrative and stealing it and saying this poor Jewish guy that doesn't even have a house and is sort of living for others. Um, he, he is Caesar. So they're like, they're appropriating all those things that were said about Caesar and saying it about Jesus. And I think that's, that's like a very beautiful thing because it destroys this whole idea of God as an impossible sort of figure that you have to infinitely sort of hope that maybe you coincide with him. Like the, the sort of radical movement of God as man is that um, you are already that when you identify with Jesus, you're, you are identifying with God. And there's, there's really not much beyond that. You know, that kind of reminds me of like something, because you, you were talking earlier about, you know, God is a human, God is man. Um, it's funny because every group of people that claims a God you know, that God is always on their side, that God always has their back against other people. Um, and so it, it only seems that maybe God is actually not a deity at all, but just them themselves, right? Like the God is, you know, we were made in God's image because we are God, right? Like we invented it. Yeah, it's a sort of like self-defense mechanism. And I think that's that's a lot of like where tribal identity comes from. It's just, you know, um, God is sort of just a, a, a representation or articulation of what you want to be real. It might not be, but you, you, you believe that it is. And yeah, God is sort of like self-tailored to your, to your needs. And yeah, I know that resonates with like actual history. Jumping back to that idea of, uh, you know, appropriating from the world around you, one of the key phrases that came to be said about Jesus was that there is no other name through which men can be saved. That was a a quote about Caesar Augustus that was on a coin in ancient Rome. It was the the thing that was said about Augustus, you know, there's no other name but Augustus by which men will be saved, and then Christianity co-opted that. You know, so that, that all ties in pretty nicely. Yeah, that's cool. I don't, I don't know if you knew this one as well, but um, they said that Caesar didn't die in Earth. 
on earth. Like they would say that, that once he would die, that his body would ascend to heaven. So even, even with Jesus, I think that you have this sort of like, they steal this idea that an, a, a man becomes immortal as a symbol. And they were saying that it's not, I, I don't necessarily believe that Jesus, you know, sort of like ascended back to, to unite with the father. I know a lot of people believe, especially like Trinitarian people, but I think that there's a very radical idea there that it's just like the Jewish community is sort of making a very strong political statement saying, um, our God is a man and he li- he will live on forever. And it's sort of like this transcendent idea that you can identify uh, with God when you're identifying with the lowly, when you're identifying with the poor, when you're identifying with all those things that are contrary to what people thought that God was, which is a king and, you know, this guy like with a run on a donkey. So that I think that's like pretty, pretty clear what he was about. And interesting that society has taken the Bible and has kind of set up its parameters around that, you know, like, um, I mean, if you look at the United States, obviously the found, not all the founding fathers were Christian, um, but a lot of the morality of the Bible made it into the politics of how we live today. Um, and the people that use that Bible to, to write that into the politics of today, they would have taken that literally, you know, and they, they, would, have, uh, they would have thought that all of that was 100% God-breathed and inerrant. Um, and now that our society is kind of based around that and people are not believing that as much i think that gives way to a lot of the political discourse that we have now political discourse oh yeah it's uh it's at an all-time low it's just it's just yelling it's just yelling even internationally i can't believe you would think that (laughs) i'm outraged that you guys are laughing at my comment But I mean, pr- pr- pretty much, pretty much. It, it, I don't know if we're going to switch into a, a, you know kind of politics gear, but that 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 is pretty much what it is with the you know ability to uh, to communicate and drop a line and a pop a comment or whatever it is. Um, it it's usually not beneficial if it's being done online. That's why these podcasts, these communities, whatever you would call it, is a great thing. It's what you need. You need to rethink your ideas, keep yourself in check and uh, not, you know, have your identity politics be your, be your identity. That's, that's number one, I think. Well, it's in social, social networking, it's so dehumanizing because the, the person that you're, you have like a, like a pool of words that are sort of like uh, uh, flags you so if anybody i don't know for example andy what you were saying right now is like this sort of distinction between like individualism and, and communitarianism you can you can sort of just like fish around and just pick a fight with somebody just because they use the word individualism or well communism whatever uh and like you don't have a uh like a genuine connection with that person like that person also almost like becomes reduced to the icon or the picture and you it's amazing how like you can just like begin to hate just the face of a person. There's nothing that sort of compares to just like sitting down with somebody that you don't agree with, but looking them in the eyes and allow their gaze to sort of like uh, transfix you and like sharing a beer or whatever. That's and good. just like trying to come, you don't necessarily have to agree, but like 
just being able to recognize the humanity in the other person and not having to reduce him to something that you already know that you don't like. See, now uh, I know you're talking crazy. I'm loving what I'm hearing right now, dude. That's, that's what we're doing. That's what fade to gray is all about. Honestly, that's why we created this, you know, like we're definitely like the eight of us that started this definitely don't agree. And, but on everything, but on a lot of things, that's the whole thing is like a lot of times, like you're saying it, it could just, you get caught up on like one word or one thing. And all of a sudden, now like that person like that identity is attached to that person you know and everything that that like word represents is now that person you know and it becomes like this and so and like okay here's here's a target here's here's my adversary you know like, yeah. and it's almost like in a way like you were saying before tying back into like that drawled negativity or something like almost like we almost like are looking for an adversary because then it makes our existence more meaningful. You know, if we, if we, if we have, if we have, oh, because yeah. then we have a soapbox or somebody we can fight against or like, look what I did. I took down this, you know, Hitler or whatever, whatever it might be, you know, X, Y, Z. So. Well, it's so funny because you meet, you meet that person at you know, a meetup or whatever. And you're like, Oh, you, you're a real human. Uh, I, I <laughs> we, we can actually talk now. Hey, sorry about the, the the fuck you or whatever you know uh, whatever you said to him you know it it doesn't matter because you're there face to face and you can actually have a conversation even like this a zoom call or skype facetime whatever it is if we did this more often even just this call it it's it, it would make a huge difference a huge difference some of it's that fast paced society in which we live in where it's like hard to like take the time out of your day it's like a sacrifice to like to sit down and, and listen to to somebody else's opinions that may not agree with you, it's, it's like it, it almost is like a legit sacrifice. And I, as I talk to people, I know this about myself. It's like when I have patience and I can actually take the time and like talk and have a conversation with somebody, I'm a pretty decent dude. But like if, if I'm in a hurry, like I can be take, like, taken completely the wrong way with some of the things that I say, you know, because I can be incredibly straightforward and incredibly blunt and to the point where it seems like I don't care about people's feelings, you know, or where it's like I definitely do. But sometimes like uh, when when I don't value those that person's feelings as much as I do my time, which is which is obviously not the right mindset to be in. But um, I feel like that happens. I think that happens a lot with a lot of people, though, that we just get like. That's you not valuing community, Omar. <laughs> it might it, it might be. I don't know. <laughs> but it's it's one of those things that like, but but also know the difference once I like, OK, well, what I'm trying to do isn't that important. I don't need to be in a hurry. And I know that I'm being short with people. So then I normally have to like consci- consciously take the time to stop and realize like, well, I'm getting older anyway. As you get older, you're supposed to be slower. So it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but Well, it's, um, I think in this, in this day and age of uh, social media, our lives are constantly bombarded by politics. I don't think it used to be that way. I think there there was a there's a documentary filmmaker called Adam Curtis that he does documentaries for the BBC. He does like some incredible, amazing, amazing documentaries. One of he has one called Hypernormalization, uh, Bitter Lake. I, I really recommend those to you guys. But uh, what he says is that we didn't used to have to worry about politics so much before. And actually, I don't think that we know what that was like. I think that we were sort of thrown into being in this sort of like uh, post-discourse world because it's not about 
it's not about discourse anymore. It's just about like being able to represent your identity through memetic symbols. So like, I mean, obviously like memes are like a great example of that, where it's just you hide yourself behind your identity through like the, the internet, but it's not really who you are. It's just like you share things that other people have made and you identify with that thing, but that sort of becomes sort of like a hard shell that is, um, always put full. Well, come on, Adrian. Memes are pretty awesome. Come on. No, I mean, they're, they're amazing. <laughs> come on. You... No, I just look at memes, I mean, bro. You should see my my Facebook page. I'm just like sharing memes all the time. But the memes, meme master. Memes sometimes they're a way that you that you slowly erase yourself or you subtract yourself from the conversation. Always though, I mean, isn't it just a way to to boil down a a, a a perceived truth or a truth that you may identify with and 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 comically put it out to the world? And if it hits, it's almost like comedy. If it hits, it hits. Uh, if it doesn't, it doesn't. You know. Sure. Yeah. But there's. I think that. I think that there's a certain lie uh, that is that is represented in the meme, and it's that it's a sort of rejection of depth because memes are quick. If you don't get the joke within like two, three seconds, you might get kind of bored. I mean, it's, it's not like sitting down and reading a book or anything like that. It's just sort of like a, most of them sort of are about axiomatic truths that, you know, are, are truly one way or another. Um, so because they're like that, because they're quick, they don't allow for a lot of room for discourse. Like you're not going to start a, a huge, big discussion or a very deep discussion like just through, through memes, you know, like they become sort of uh, like quick comebacks, I guess. Um, it's like greeting cards, right? Like uh, instead of <laughs> personalizing a note or something, you just send a pre-made prepackaged greeting card. It's, it's, it. it's that of like your political ideas. You, you find a meme that kind of says generally kind of what you want to say, but it doesn't say everything you want to say. It's just nice and neat packaged. Here you go. Um, and it doesn't really have any soul to it. Is that kind of what you're saying? Sure. And I, I think, I mean, sometimes I, I follow some, like some pages that I like, and, and sometimes they, they do memes that I agree with, but at the same time, there's also ones that I'm just like, oh man, like, I feel like this is kind of betraying a sort of contradiction within my own way of thinking. Like the free thought project, uh, they, they put out some dank ass memes, but like, I think that they really fuck up their memes on purpose. Like I used to share a lot of their, I don't know if you're familiar with the free thought project, but I think you might like it just talking with you in the last hour. Um, yeah, I, I don't know about it. Um, but amazing. they do a lot of like, um, and, and, and artists type stuff or a lot of like, um, you know, free, their whole, premise i think is trying to get people to think for themselves but then they started putting out these memes that like were like 90 percent true but like had like 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 some like glaring like um contradiction or like it's just funny because i think they're like trolling their own their own followers to get people to like repost it because they were like because there was no free thought in it it's like they like almost knew that like their followers weren't thinking yeah, for themselves so it's just kind of like it's just kind of like fucking with everybody i don't know they're kind of like meta, like memes of memes. Yeah, that sounds that sounds interesting. I'm actually interested to know a little bit more about your politics because yeah. you're talking about the memes that you put out. Uh, you know, tell us a little bit about. I mean, you're from California, so you're you're one of those libtards, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm. Uh, no, I'm not. I'm not a liberal. I, I. In fact, I think that maybe liberals right now are the problem. Um, because I got my interest. 
No, I think that I, I definitely think that identity politics are are sort of uh, you know a lot of people think that they confuse the left with liberals, and I think that maybe more liberals are sort of a symptom of neoliberalism. So I think that maybe what you were talking about, Andy, earlier was just like the, the importance of individualism. If you take that to an extreme, I think that what you get actually is identity politics because people start caring so much for who they are as individuals. Like I don't know, I'm a I'm a trans black uh, 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 woman, whatever, and like you need to respect me. And you see a lot of these things. You just try to offend everybody. (laughs) 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 He is like I'm just going to go for everybody. I like like your style. (laughs) That was great. Just like like South Park style. No, but um, I think that identity politics definitely come from like neoliberalism which is like taking individualism to an extreme where it's just like the identity of you becomes sort of like the crucial way in which you interact with society um to be honest i'm much more interested in class struggle than like i don't know like rights that have to do more with like who you are or where you come from i think that maybe there they there should be more of a a struggle for not necessarily like equality is sort of like a very cliche sort of uh it's not a very good uh word to use when it comes to politics because it immediately comes to like communism and all that but i think that different people have different needs but um i think that definitely we need to strive for a society in which economically people can live people can live in a way that is dignified and uh, that's basically my my politics. So you definitely wouldn't put yourself in a box and say, I'm socialist or I'm whatever you, you would say my politics is everyone should just have dignity. Did you vote? That's did you vote politics. for Gary Johnson? That's what I want to know. Cause if not, fuck you. He didn't vote <laughs> because he lives in Mexico. Silly. So. <laughs> yeah, actually, actually I didn't vote. Um, but no, Gary Johnson, I mean, Gary Johnson is, a uh, he's, yeah, he's an interesting guy, but he's, yeah, he's he's on the on the opposite side of, of what I. Right. <laughs> what is Aleppo? He's like the Doctor Phil of politics. He's like, I don't know what Aleppo is. I really don't. What <laughs> is like, that? Well, he's all into like free market and uh, you know just let the market sort of decide what's going to happen. And uh, I I don't know. I, I kind of have issues with that because it's you know putting profit. What ends up happening is that profit becomes profit is something that is over people. And I think that people come first before profit. And um, I liked, I, can, I, I, I kind of like Bernie. I, I, to me, he, kinda, he didn't really go far enough. Um, I'm, what, he didn't what go far saying, enough? What, what would you have liked to have seen him do further? Take 100% of my, my earnings? <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, um, shots fired, shots fired. Well, what do you mean by, like, in what way? Taking, he, he wanted basically a 90% tax. For the super, are you super rich? Well, no, but okay. So, all right. Well, let's let's go on that thought experiment. Who employs most people in America and third world countries through telemarketer services? Is it the top one percent? No, I I, I don't know. I'm not informed about that. I would assume so. So, Starbucks, uh, HP, Apple, all these different things. So, if you want to increase uh, taxes on those companies, they're going to increase the cost of goods that you will now pay. 
So it's all it's all relative. It's it, you're going to raise the the taxes on those companies. They're going to make your latte now eight dollars and fifty cents. Just well, to just to pay for whatever free quote free stuff that you want. Well, it's, it's already pretty close to that. <laughs> the price of a latte. Um, no, but <laughs> to be honest, I, I, I'm more interested in like the way that ideology works in politics. Uh, I'm not a political theorist, so I, uh, you know, I don't want to get into like an, into a debate of like how the market works uh, because it's it probably not, it's I will, probably wouldn't do very well in it, but. I basically think that one of the things that I think Margaret Thatcher said in in her whole like labor movement in in, in the UK was that he, she said there is no alternative to capitalism, and there is no alternative to free market. Like this is the way that things have to be, and I think that uh, you you see like this trend of like apocalyptic movies that come from Hollywood, and I think they have to do with like uh, uh, an alternative to capitalism cannot be envisioned. So it's easier to imagine the end of the world rather than uh, an alternative to capitalism. And I think that uh, I would agree with you, Andy, that that capitalism is this extremely dynamic uh, way of, uh, of society. Um, I'm not too sure about the economic side of it, but I think that capitalism comes with a psychic cost that is extremely difficult to bear as a human being. And it's basically the idea that we were talking about earlier and it's that nothing is ever enough. Um, you always have to be looking for the next commodity. So the commodity is sort of becomes the messianic symbol of, uh, of, uh, of a capitalist subjects. And um, yeah, you're always searching for the next commodity, but ne- like commodities are like such a nihilistic thing in life. It's just like something that will continually just like uh, disappoint you. And I think that, there's got to be something more to life than just like markets or Starbucks or, you know, whatever. And how are you going to convince 8 billion people that there's more to to life than that though? Well, that's, that's what I'm saying that it, it, it feels sometimes that there is no alternative to it because it's so pervading. It's like, it's, it, you know, it's, it's called globalism for a reason. Um, And any sort of like revolutionary movement that is going to attempt to, rise up it's going to maybe probably be um shut down by global capitalism so it i don't think that maybe there's been sort of like a like a genuine attempt to an alternative and i'm not talking about like communism or anything like that i'm just talking about an al- any alternative to capitalism but what become- would be what would be your pitch to an alternative communes well, baby uh, sex communes <laughs> Well, I think he already said earlier, it's more the idea that we need to have the conversation about what it could be rather than he has a plan laid out. Well, no, I mean, I think maybe it's sort of, I think it's maybe it's like sort of, uh, it's complicated to talk like directly of like, oh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Maoist and, and I, oh, and I'm a neoliberal or whatever. Yeah. Don't uh, worry about putting yourself in a box. We're just having a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, but I'm saying it's like, the problem is that the possibility of even having a conversation within capitalism becomes sort of stifled uh, because capitalism is because of fucking rednecks like Andy. <laughs> no, because, uh, because I think that capitalism, <laughs> capitalism begs the question of like, what's the system that you got? What is the promise that you have? 
And I think that that question itself is something that needs to be rejected by this particular alternative. Or may the best promise win. May the best, most beneficial, lucrative promise win. But he's, but he's, say, but he's saying that like, the other things are getting a fair shake because capitalism globally is like strangling out other other like free markets or whatever. It's just kind of like... Oh, so you guys are proving Alex Jones right? Is that what I'm <laughs> Alex Jones is completely right. What are you talking about? Now you now you all understand that, that globalism is a problem. You all you will all admit that. So I'm gonna I'm gonna nope nope don't I'll, laugh. I'm gonna go I'll on record and saying globalists are the problem. Globalism is going down. We are defeating the globalists one by one. And especially the you, alien child visit, molesters. So those those are Alex the problem. Alex, no one invited you. Uh, okay, all right. Well, y'all have a good night and. Uh, have fun. <laughs> but, I don't know that Alex Jones has ever been that polite. <laughs> vote, vote in the midterms. Vote in the midterms. Thank you. But just to but just to wrap up, like what, what I would say about that is that the way that that question is framed of a possible alternative is completely capitalist. So I think that a radically different question has to be asked. Because if you're asking, may the best sort of alternative win? That itself comes that question itself is sort of, uh, it arises from, from capitalist ideology. So I would, I, I think that it's still being developed, but it's been difficult because it's the minority. And I think trying to formulate uh, a question that is radically different from what the questions that capitalism is asking or begging for, um, they're still being formulated, I think. And it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's difficult, but you know, like I think that Marx said that there is a sort of specter that is haunting capitalism, and uh, it's 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 a question that is hasn't been able to be articulated completely yet. Uh, I always find it interesting when the capitalism conversations come up uh, because we don't we don't believe in capitalism. We've already rejected that. Um, pure capitalism, left alone, will result in one person with everything. Pure capitalism is the game of monopoly. At the end of it all, one person will own everything and everyone else is out. That's where it goes in the end. And we decided a long time ago that we didn't want that. So that's like, you know, we stopped Rockefeller and Carnegie and all those, you know, like, but then we kind of like sweep that to the side in our current political discussions about capitalism. And we seem to forget that, (laughs) but I don't know. Well, the guy who won the Monopoly board is president now. So, I mean, boardwalk and park place is the way to go. <laughs> I'm actually, you know what? I, I, I don't get you, any of you guys like Trump supporters. Uh, uh, supporters no. is a harsh. Yeah. Not no. me. They're, like, I mean, I'm a Trump apologist. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't support yeah. the guy. I'm like, I, uh, I feel like it's a broken system. Yeah. I, I don't really either, but if I just I get so tired of the common tropes, racist, sexist, anti-gay, KKK, go away. It's like why it's there, and you hear that stuff at every single rally. Like at least be original with your songs, people. <laughs> well, I mean, and not only that, but there, you, and I don't support Trump, but you have African Americans right now have the lowest unemployment rate. Right. And I don't know that that has anything to do with Trump or not. I don't think Trump wakes up in the morning and goes, how can I fuck over the USA? You know, I don't think that he does that. I think he probably wakes up and thinks that what he has, what, what he's doing is actually good for the United States. Um, 
because I don't know. There's probably not many people out there that would go. They're an optimist. You know, <laughs> well, it's possible. But, you know, I, I imagine Mike, Dr. Uh, Claw, just petting his cat, just, just, just trying to figure out how to take down Inspector Gadget once more. <laughs> One billion dollars. One billion. Well, that's Dr. Evil, whatever. Um, close so, enough. Close enough. But, yeah, I think that what, what you're saying is, like, it makes sense to me because uh, – the people that criticize Trump are the people that believe in Trump the most because they actually fall for the idea that one person controls the whole political sort of aspect of the world. Come on. That's just not the way that it works. What a fucking law. What a fucking law. Yep. Yeah, Come I on. agree with that. Keep going. We love it. That, that's We talk about that all the time, like the lie uh, of the two-party system, the, you know, the 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 wool being pulled over everyone's eyes that this person is the savior and they're going to do, you know, great things or, or this person is the devil and they're doing terrible things. Like the, the idea or that the media this actually one has person, news. <laughs> exactly. Right. Um, you know, this whole thing is just, uh, it's a ruse, you know, all of it is just, uh, it's more, um, it's more of a distraction from what, is really happening right so i think all of us would agree with you on that adrian for sure yeah it's interesting have you spent most of your life in the united states or in mexico it's been about half and half half and half yeah i lived in california i mean i was born in california i was just there for one year i grew up in el paso texas so that's where i spent most of my teenage years from like 11 to like 16 something like that Oh, that's perfect. Cause that's, that's definitely where I'm going with this question. So you've spent half your life in Mexico, half your life in the United States, a lot of it on the border in El Paso, pretty close. Uh, you said you're in, uh, Monterrey. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's not too far away from the border. So you spent a lot of your time close to the border. How do you feel about Trump's wall? Well, I think, I think it, I, this is nothing new, but you know, the wall doesn't really make a difference. It's more of a symbol. Uh, I think it's something that perpetuates the walls. <laughs> this is going to sound so stupid, but the walls in everybody's hearts. Like, <laughs> no, but like, <laughs> yeah, I, I think that it perpetuates this division between what everybody thinks that the other is. And so the wall doesn't just function for, uh, you know, Americans that support the wall. It also functions for the people that are against it because it ends up symbolizing uh, a separation from the people that you're in disagreement with. So it's like anti-community, right? It's anti bringing people together. Sure. Yeah. But you know, if the wall gets, if the wall gets built, there's already sort of like a symbolic wall that is built and it's much more effective than anything that could be built physically. Mm. You know, it's crazy. We have a Republican president who goes to, uh, I'm talking about Reagan. He goes to Germany and he tells, he tells them to tear down the wall, right. That separates them. And then now we have a Republican president who's telling, you know, let's build the wall. And it's just such a crazy dichotomy, um, that there would be such a difference just in 30 years of thinking, you know, what well, man, come on, man. That's not just not American, man. I tell you what, man. It's America, man. Nationalism. I tell you what, man. America, you just put that ball over. It's just gotta go protect me. Get those savages out there. I got that. Go chops. Go I chops couldn't even me. understand a word you said. Hell, hell yeah, man. Go, so, go chops. Yeah, fuck you. So no borders, guys. So no borders at all. That, that's. I don't think that's what anyone's saying. Right. Well, uh, no, but I'm just. 
but, if, but you have to change the, the you have to change the conversation though because you're uncomfortable. <laughs> so, <laughs> but okay, so okay, so I'm I'm dragging the conversation away from borders and everyone's hearts to a literal border, which that's what we're talking about. It's it's that so so no border then, like don't have any like don't have anything. No, I'm saying border. that even I'm saying that even if there is a border. The way that society functions is not through like the bureaucratic uh, structures that we have. There, society functions because of the ideological structures that we have. So, you could take off the border, and you could have no borders, which is like the nightmare maybe of a, of a lot of people. Um, but it, I, I, I'm tempted to think that it wouldn't make a difference as long as I know, agree with there. Yeah. There's a sort well, of like, it, it would on the amount that we pay in taxes. That's it's just simple as that. It's now we have new people here that need a little bit of assistance. So guess what? I go up to forty percent tax income, or whatever it is. It's I'm like I'm pretty it sure though that that wall is going to cost more in taxes than helping people out, though, right? And maybe so. I I didn't say. I mean, I'm neither for or against quote the wall. It's just that if you add forty million people in the next five years, what is that going to do to? average average people who are here legally whatever whether you be from russia mexico el salvador like you are going to be paying so much more and it's going to be very 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 hard for you to make uh a decent living because of quote compassion and i am compassionate i'm not saying that at all i think we should make it easier for people to come here and to be a a tax-paying citizen i think we should but like it it there has to be some sort of of delineation between uh, knowing kind of who you have, right? Is is that is that out of the realm of thinking? Uh, who who's coming across? Is well, that I, crazy? Well, I would say that I would say that the the wall is sort of a signifier for an un, like a sort of um, discomfort in the idea that what you like your world is going to. Maybe, you know, there's like this thing from uh, there will be blood, which is like I, I drink your milkshake. Like I take my yes. straw and I put it all the way. Your I, drink glass your I drink your milkshake. I um, drink it up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that scene. But there's a Amazing. there's this idea that the wall is just a signifier for something else. And I think it's the idea that the fear that somebody that is illegal, and I don't mean illegal in the sense of like they don't have a passport or anything like that. I just mean like illegal in being like they don't they they're not allowed or you don't yeah you don't not i don't mean you andy but i just mean like in general like we all have people that are illegal in some sense and it it doesn't have to be within the dichotomy of like america and uh or sorry the united states and mexico it could be like just like within your own family there could be illegal people in your own life and i think that maybe one of the more liberating ideas when it comes to like universality is that you shouldn't call people illegal, right? Like that's offensive to people. Don't call them illegal. And I think one of the things that I was saying at the very beginning of the podcast is that life is sort of like constituted in negativity. And I think the better way to put it is not to dispense with the idea of illegality when it comes to like a human being, but sort of embrace the idea that we are all illegal in some sense. We are illegal even to ourselves. So in a sense, like trying to like protect ourselves from somebody else uh, you know, it's kind of redundant because we are already trespassing in our own lives ourselves. 
And um, I, I don't know. I just think that that's like, I think that that's true. And, um, you know, th- th- things like these, like the wall and like policy in general, I think that they, they function more as, as signifiers for, for things that are already like embedded into our ideologies when it comes to restrictions, transgression and uh, trespassing, et cetera, all that kind of thing. I love that you're going really deep with it. And I think you're probably in your head. You're just too nice to say it. I think you're thinking, guys, this is like this is small potatoes man i'm talking about the bigger picture here which is you know no no get, not at all <laughs> of capitalism and then all this stuff is fixed or or whatever it is and and i know that you don't no i feel yeah like, go ahead i feel like maybe i'm just like dodging the questions <laughs> <laughs> no you're no. you're not you're, you're definitely on a on a philosophical level that's for sure you're you're much deeper than i am i'm <laughs> i never go that deep i guess but i i i really do enjoy talking to you it's it's really been an intelligent, I think, conversation. And, and you made your, uh, you, you made every point very succinctly. Uh, and I, I, I truly thank you for coming on this podcast, man. Yeah, no, I, I think it's been, it's been, it's been cool also talking with you guys. Before we wrap up, I want to know, Adrian, if you could ban anyone from YouTube, who would it be? <laughs> uh, one guy that I just can't like really, this is more personal. Like uh, it's Jordan Peterson, but if, <laughs> but if and, I, well, you know, I, you I know, think I deserve to be on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> um, if I had a button, you know, it's just like the erase Jordan Peterson from YouTube. I, I, I literally wouldn't, I wouldn't press it, but yeah, he, there's a lot of stuff that I disagree That's with. That's interesting. Wow. He's such a very like neutral milk toast kind of person he's just what's milk toast? <laughs> uh milk toast just like like normal static. no taste, static yeah just kind of okay. like boring i think that he's like um i think that that's the appearance but i think that what's boiling underneath is is something a lot more i don't think it necessarily comes from him you but think i think he's all right no i don't uh, <laughs> I, do, I don't think he's all right but i think he <laughs> no, but I think he definitely attracts alt right, and uh, and I think that there's like a sort of like uh, like a fa intellectualism or like a pseudo intellectualism mm-hmm. that is sort of like empowering the alt right, definitely. Um, but uh, to be honest, even if he was alt right, I think that a lot of people that listen to him don't really understand them and take him out of context, and that's that's the that's the toxic part, the the sort of like uh, the chemistry in misunderstanding between him and his audience is what I think is very toxic. Mm, like, like what, what is his audience? What is the worst of his audience taking and running with that is poisonous? Well, there's, there's a lot of things. I mean, but I think that maybe the first one is sort of like self pity. I think that's, that's like, I think one of the first ones um, that I think it's, it's complicated. I think that he, he's even sort of like, a crying sort of mascot. I think that he's, he's cried many times like on YouTube, but and that's, that's fine. Like you can, you can cry on YouTube. Like that's no big deal. But I think that he, he sort of like elevates uh, a sort of uh, male vulnerability to a point where it's just uh, a pity party. And, the, uh, but more than that, I think that just the idea of like self authorship, cause he's like sort of like a Jungian uh, archetype, uh, uh, 
guy. And I think that the idea that you can sort of like author yourself, um, I've, to be honest, I, 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 I've known of a few people that have actually tried Jungian uh, psychology and it seriously messed them up like really bad because the idea that you can form yourself uh, is an illusion. It's, I, it, it's definitely a capitalist illusion. And um, it's something that eventually just comes back and, and uh, it, it's, it's very, I think it's very harmful uh, in the long run. We're uh, what hour and a half into this and we're just now kind of like really getting comfortable with each other, but it's been a great conversation, Adrian. We'd love to have you on some other time. You can try to, yeah, yeah try let's, to let's have you on again, man. That would be awesome. Take down this capital pig, Andy. Yeah, yes. I had a great time. <laughs> <laughs> no, thanks. Thanks so much for having me guys. I had a great time. And Adrian, if people want to, you know, check out what you're doing with error and also your scoring of films, where can they uh, find out information about you? You can follow me on Twitter at a drone and the life. Um, but also, yeah, that website that I was at the beginning, just making love OST.com. I think in about a week's time, it should be up already and you can pay as little as a dollar for it, but you can also just uh, write in your own amount of whatever you want. Yeah. That's awesome that you were able to make a soundtrack to, you know, you know, you know, Softcore porn, it's awesome. So, um, (laughs) (laughs) but uh, no, seriously, I don't know. Wherever you do, I don't know, like where you're at in your faith, or it doesn't even matter. But um, we normally have our guests do some sort of like a prayer blessing, um, sending sending us off in every way, you know, um, talking to a creator or the whatever it is you believe in, and um, wrapping us up. Pray for us, uh, Adrian. <laughs> uh, <laughs> He's like oh, that'll be hard because uh, God's not real. <laughs> well, pray no, that we no, get to deliver this, from capitalism or something. <laughs> I love I love this thing that uh, Augustine used to say. It was like God rid me of God, mm-hmm. and it's uh, he used to pray that to God. And it's just like I don't want to have any ideas that become sort of frozen in my life about you. So. You know, there's like this constant like breaking of the symbols that we identify through with God. And I think that, you know, my prayer would be something like, you know, God, allow me to not believe in you so much anymore. And let me focus on on the things that you focused on. That's like, that's, you know, humanity and that's that's freedom. And, uh, you know, I fight for, for what is right. In and Jesus' name, yeah, amen. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, all you have to do is say amen after that and you're and you're solid that was that was it. <laughs> no but to be honest i mean to me it's like you know discourse in general with people is is they're they are like prayers you're 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 connecting with people in a way that is sort of um more than natural and so yeah i had a great time thanks guys for for having me thank you very much adrian i really appreciate thank it man. thank you so much you're a good right. dude. And everyone needs to go check out Ave on Spotify. I know you got new stuff going on, but I'm still hooked on Ave, man. Simulacra, <laughs> great album. So Agave. Agave. <laughs> now there's there's better stuff coming, so I'll, I'll keep you posted. Ooh, awesome. Cool. Yeah, we'll awesome. have you come back out when you ever whenever it's released so you can promote it. All right. Thanks. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks, Adrian. All right, talk to you guys later. Hasta right. luego. Bye. <laughs> Now you guys are just being racist. What? No, it's, no, it's not. That's what. And then, and then Spanish. What, why do you? Why do you go? To, why do you go to, to Spanish immediately? Why? 
yeah. because he's from Mexico. Uh, his, that, whole al- his whole album's in, in Spanish. The, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. You made him leave. <laughs> Did you just assume his language? <laughs> you just assumed his language, you motherfucker. You're a linguist. <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh par- pardon me for trying to relay linguist. to him the proper message sorry about that <laughs> <laughs> no that dude is a very interesting guy and you know one thing that we didn't really talk about was the fact that his father is like the michael w smith of latin america yeah, that's crazy and he he was supposed to, you know, like, or at least it was kind of assumed that he would take up the mantle, you know, once his father, uh, you know, went into retirement. His father's still making music, by the way. And his father's more of a poet, really, um, uh, and an author. But, um, you know, and he's kind of gone a different route. And I think that's super interesting because here in the United States, anyone would take that opportunity to capitalize on that. But his whole mentality, of course, is anti-capitalist. So of course he's not doing that. It's, it's really unique and it's a cool dynamic. I think dude, it's, it's especially bold to do that in a country where like la familia is todo. Like it's everything. I mean, I, I, I totally white boy that up, but like family is everything, <laughs> right? Like, Following yeah. your dad's footsteps, follow with what you're, it's, it's, it's everything. Exactly. So it's yeah. even way more bold to step out and say, I'm going to do uh, this lifestyle that I, that I choose. I'm not going to, you know, obviously he loves music uh, it, it, and he's going to do it on his own terms. And I'm not kidding. The dude is a fantastic musician. Like you've got to go and listen to that. Ave album and I'll listen yeah. to error whenever it comes out. I'm super mm-hmm. excited about that. But like the, the, that whole album and I, I wish you guys spoke Spanish. Well, obviously Andy, you know a lot more Spanish than I thought you did, but of course you live in California. So that makes sense. But see, see. <laughs> the, the lyrical content of that album is great. It's beautifully written and it's, you know, from the perspective of deconstruction, I think it's so neat because you don't get a whole lot of albums like that. Sure. You have Emery, uh, comes out with like I quit church or whatever or, or wh- whatever they did. I don't yeah, whatever. Not I don't totally. listen to them. But but you know, they <laughs> all suck anyways. <laughs> but um, but you know, we love you, Matt and Toby. You've got that going on. But but this guy did it back in. I think that album came out in 2015, and it was you know in Mexico. You know, here's Adrian who comes in with the with the balls to to even, you know, question these things in front of everybody with his dad being who he is. I think it's so cool. So cool. So badass. Yeah, he he, he was a he definitely has a uh, a perspective. You you could tell he thinks a lot about like where he's at in his life. He's he's done a lot of thinking about where he's at. Oh yeah. He he didn't he didn't just arrive there out of nowhere. And and I I appreciate that. That's why I want him to come back and maybe talk a little bit more about maybe about politics and, you know, maybe why capitalism is not the answer or why maybe what I agree. Adrian, you know, he kind of went against uh, my boy, uh, Gary Johnson. (laughs) I voted for Gary Johnson too, but you know what? I don't need to go there. Hey man, don't, don't you fucking talk about (laughs) Gary Johnson. That's the only thing I had to say. I was like, no, he's not far right. I'm not, don't classify me as far right. And, and, and Gary Johnson's not my boy, no. but but you know, like you said, you wanted to say fuck you to the two party system, and so of course you voted for candidate C, uh, and that's exactly what I did. I tend to lean more libertarian. Um, is it 
Is it a party like he was saying that I want to define myself in like identity politics? No, but I would say it's the one that's closest to what I believe, which would be let people be people, you know, and, and big government cannot tell me what to do. Like that's where we get all of these, um, uh, we get the TV shows like The Handmaid's Tale, right? And it's like, well, the reason that happens is because you let big government come in and take over, you know, take over. I don't know where I'm at with that. I don't want to identify as a libertarian just because, oh, you know, the, I don't want to get into identity politics. I, I don't want to be pigeonholed into mm-hmm. that's the way I think because what's going to happen whenever someone like Gary because Johnson... Because what if you don't say taxation isn't theft? <laughs> That libertarian punchline is just like, what if you don't agree with one libertarian quote, libertarian thing, you know, well, then you're out of their group. It's like, so why label yourself as anything? <laughs> Omar, before we head out, do you want to uh, introduce everybody to the next segment that we have for them? Well, welcome. Welcome guys to Movies That Mold Me, where we sit around with different members of the roundtable talking about uh, movies from either our childhood or later in life, movies that like left an imprint or um, you know shaped us kind of like our personality, maybe the way we, we see the world, maybe we see humor or even fear. So anyway, so that's what we're doing here with Movies That Mold Me. Hope you guys enjoy it. Today, we are talking about there will be blood. Oh yeah! Now, if you remember this movie, it was released in 2007. Director by the name of a guy named Paul Thomas Anderson. I've never heard of him. Oh, he's um, so great. He did uh, Magnolia and Boogie oh, Nights. Boogie Nights, nice. Uh, the Master, and most All recently, right. Phantom Thread. Wow. Yeah. Right, well, there you go. So let's talk about the cast. Um, the main character is Daniel Day-Lewis uh, playing Daniel Plainview. Uh, Daniel Day-Lewis, he's won three Oscars uh, for his, for uh, My Left Foot, for Lincoln, because he played Abe Lincoln in the most recent Lincoln movie, and for this role uh, as Daniel Plainview. So he's won three Oscars. Um, he was in Last of the Mohicans. Uh, Gangs of New York. Uh, but no, Daniel Day-Lewis, man, he's phenomenal in this movie. And for people who don't know him, he's a method actor. And so what he'll do is he actually, uh, he, to prepare for the role, he will actually play that role at all times. He will never get out of character. Oh, like wow. even cool. like months before he actually starts shooting, he'll start being that character and he'll never get out of that character until he's done filming the movie. Uh, so he'll actually live like that. Like, um, I know during my left foot, when he recorded that, he never got out of his wheelchair the entire time he was filming. And for this movie, he was such an asshole to one of the castmates that they ended up quitting and they had to replace him. Uh, and of course that was Eli and they replaced him with Paul Dano, uh, who was also phenomenal in this movie. Yes, I would agree. Yeah, I just lo- I just love the like the symbolism of both of them. If you look at kind of even with what uh, Adrian was talking about with like the capitalism, but then even with like how like the church was trying to like maintain its ground and its footing as like the town was building, it was like you know also building its its empire, and that was I loved like the coalition there, and then the relationship which between the two um, as like kind of like the heavy hitters of the town yeah. as it was growing. So. Absolutely. It was like uh, capitalism and religion were almost fighting for first place. 
you know, as, as the story progresses, it's pretty interesting dynamic there. Yeah. I think after, uh, the, the boy, uh, HW loses his hearing from, uh, the, the oil, uh, gas, you know, blowing in, up in his face. Um, I thought it was so interesting because you, you, I could never really tell, couldn't get a get really good read on that Daniel character, like how, how much it was uh, affecting him. Cause at times it seemed like he really would care for the boy. And then other times he would definitely seem like he was more interested in the oil or expanding the business or the money side of everything than actually the kid at all. Yeah. You know, I actually kind of feel like he did care for HW, um, but obviously HW was kind of a a ploy, like part of his scheme, right? He comes into town and kind of uh, shows himself as a businessman, but also as a family man, right? So he's an oil man, but he's also all about family and he encourages his his, uh, workers to bring their families along too. And it's part of his appeal. And so it's almost like, is he really upset that HW has been affected or is it more like his bottom line might be affected, right? Exactly. Well, exactly. And it wasn't until that one scene with uh, Daniel and Eli, uh, when Eli was coming to confront Daniel about the $5,000 they was owed for the church. And just right away, like Daniel just starts jacking him up. And you're just like, at first you're just like, <laughs> well, that's a little bit aggressive for like money you owe this guy. And then like, he's just like, I thought you were a faith healer. Why haven't you come and healed my boy? And just like, like beating the shit out of him. And I'm just like, Oh, okay. Like that's when you could like tell that he, he's like, like even it's like blaming God or blaming like, you know, faith, you know, for like, you know, like, so he does care about this kid. You know, you kind of, you've seen some of it then. Yeah. There's even, uh, like in that scene where he's in the church and he's, you know, having to go there to get the bandy track, uh, to, to get a piece of land that he can drill on. Uh, he's basically being conned into becoming a member of the church and, and accepting Jesus. And there's, there's that scene where Eli pulls him on stage and says, you know, beg for the blood. And he's like, give me the blood. And, and, uh, Eli makes him repeat, I've abandoned my, my child. And there's, there's one part where Daniel actually seems a little bit repentant about that. Um, cause he screams, you know, I've abandoned my child. I've abandoned my child. And he kind of starts to break and he says, I've abandoned my boy. Um, and, and you feel like, well, maybe he does kind of feel a bit remorseful, but then he kind of just says, all right, Eli, tell me what to do so I can get out of here. Like, give me the blood so I can get out of here. He's, he's ready to be done with the church thing, but it's such a, it's such a crazy, crazy movie. And and of course there's that one part where Daniel's talking to, uh, not his brother about, Mm. you know, his, his, who he is. Henry. Yeah. Henry. And he's, he's saying, you know, like, I just don't like people. And, I, I have this need to succeed and this need for success and I don't want anyone else to succeed. And it's like, man, this guy is the embodiment of capitalism almost. Um, and it's just, there's so many things I could say about this movie that I don't know that we have time for, but like, it's beautifully shot. It is incredibly well acted. Uh, the writing and directing is, is you know, wonderful cinematography is out of this world. And Radiohead's Johnny Greenwood writes the score for this movie, and it is incredible. I hadn't seen this since it had originally came out on DVD. Shout out to Blockbuster back in you know two thousand eight ish. But uh, um, and it was, I remember it was really good. Um, you know, we do a lot of spoilers here on this uh, segment, but um, 
Um, if you have not seen this, we won't we won't say how it ends. But I, I would say it's definitely one of the most shocking endings I think I've seen on any movie. And as I was rewatching this, it's like, oh, this is that movie, and it definitely like grips you. It's a long movie, two two and a half hours. Yeah, I'll move this right into the grayscale. So it was a long movie, about two and a half hours. It, it builds in well. You know, you get a lot of good backstory with uh, the HW character, and you know, and like his father and everything. And um, you know, so it's not. Although it's long, it doesn't drag. It's not like Lord of the Rings draggy or anything. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to trigger a lot of people with saying that, but I agree oh. with you. <laughs> so, I would say, man, for me, because like I said, it was movies that mold me and I had to rewatch a lot of it. It didn't stick as much as you would think that it would, but it was a good movie hovering right around a four. We'll give it a 3.8 on the grayscale. That tells me all I need to know about your uh, movie critiquing, Omar, your trash at it. Uh, I give it <laughs> five on the grayscale. Oh, oh, uh, wow. This movie definitely, it does a lot for me. <laughs> I like movies that really make me think and really make me question things. And this movie uh, 100% achieved that. I think that was the goal. Uh, just awfully well done. Incredible movie. Yeah. Okay. Whatever, Chris. Um <laughs> trash I just call I it like I see it I, I, got, I, I got nothing I got nothing <laughs> I got, you, you might be right but I mean I have uh, many years of this many years of this and I'm not going to stop now so but that's uh, that's our first one with movies that molded me and um, clearly this movie molded Chris uh, more than myself but um, that's uh, that's all right um, I'm, I'm not from Dallas and I'm not an oil man so <laughs> <laughs> I will say I was at a completely different time in my life back then in 2008 than I would be now. So watching it now, I'm getting more out of it than I did the first time around, I think. Good. Word. Well, shit. Uh, I, I guess we'll sign off this one, but uh, it's it's been good, huh? I think so. I think, I think so. so. All right, guys. Well, good night. And to the listeners, if you're still listening, uh, we kiss your ass, too. You guys are awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know what? I, I just want to say, if if you are still listening right now, thank you so so much. I, I, I this this podcast is fun for all of us, and something we all enjoy doing. So if you're listening right now, that is so kick ass, and thank you so much for for uh, enjoying the conversation as, as really as much as we did, and hopefully more. And thank you for listening to uh, us kiss each other's asses. <laughs> <laughs> and if you, and if you want to, to get your ass kissed too, as well, just join our Marco Polo group. <laughs> we do. That's right. We do that every morning. <laughs> you can uh, find us at Fade to Gray on social media and ask to be part of our Marco Polo group. It's uh, just a group of uh, awesome dudes talking about random shit, and it's a blast. And and girls, there are some females. My wife's there. Shit. There's like at least th- at least three of them. <laughs> Why are you calling me out to be like this sexist asshole? Because you, you called me and you called me and Randy or me and Randy, <laughs> me, and, me and Andy racist earlier. <laughs> whenever, no Chris, whenever you're being no racist, KKK, Andy, no you're, fascist, you're, you're Randy. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we need to take a page out of Adrian's book and just focus on our community for a little while and and less about individualism. Okay. Mm, Stop thinking so right, much about yourself, there, Omar. That's right. 
That's right. All right. <laughs> Later, guys. Peace out. Good night, gentlemen. Night, guys.